All right. So, so every family has a culture embedded in it. Like, you, know, you, you look at different families. Some are, are outdoorsy. Some maybe more indoorsy. Uh, some are more extroverted, social. Some are more keep to themselves. Some are known for sports. Some are known for books. Some are known for both. Some are known for travel. Some are known more as homebodies, like to be that way. So, the, I mean, the heterogeneity of earthly families, you meet one family you haven't met all. I mean, you, there's just so many differences. We all have our little quirky things. Every, every family is a little bit different. But what about those who belong to God's family? You know, when we think about earthly families, they can be inc- incredibly heterogeneous. Um, they can be completely different. Each one is different. A lot of heterogeneity there, which just means differences. But what about those who are adopted as children, sons, of, uh, sons and daughters of God, and are part of his eternal family? What is the culture that represents a family like that? Today we're going to see what the family of God should be known for, namely love, even for, for their enemies. So join me as we read our scripture for today, starting in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do also, or do so to them. And if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Let us pray again. Heavenly Father, open up our hearts and minds to hear your word. This is a difficult teaching. God, I feel like your whole word is difficult, to be honest. I mean, everything that you say is so countercultural. Our sinful flesh wants to do exactly opposite of most things that you command us to do. But Lord, open up our hearts and minds to, to hear this and to put it into practice and to allow your word to sanctify us through your Holy Spirit working in our hearts and our lives. Amen. So if you recall from last week, we're going through the Sermon on the Plain, as it's called in Luke, Sermon on, on the Mountain, or the Mount, uh, as we see in Matthew. And this sermon will continue the rest of chapter 6. So just kind of looking at the next few, next couple of sermons here. Um, and, and if we look, today's scriptures is, is very different than what we've seen beforehand. And the, and the big difference is, Jesus has been teaching as one with authority, as we've already seen, Luke 4, 32, and they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. So he's been preaching and teaching very authoritative, but this is the first time where we see direct, objective commands. So just boom, boom, boom. Do this, do this, don't do this. This is the first time we see in Luke's gospel where Jesus starts to turn that authority even up another notch with authoritative, direct commands. And these are the first in this gospel. And these are most certainly difficult teachings as we move forward. So today we're going to see three ways that Christ challenges us to love like he loves. And the first is, as part of God's family, Christ mandates your requirement. As part of God's family, Christ mandates your requirement. I'm going to reread verses 27 to 28. 
But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. So the first question most of us as we come to this passage is, who is our enemy? Obviously, we see people, who is our neighbor? Well, this is who is our enemy, and the Greek word for enemy here is ekthros, which means hostile or hated. Uh, Jesus is speaking to those who persecute you, those who hate you, those obviously who are not friendly. And Jesus is teaching the crowd and great multitude, as we mentioned last week. But this emphasis that he's teaching, do you remember who he looked up and looked at? This is disciples. Remember Luke 6.20, the first part, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. So his focus w- would be, as he looked at, as it looks at this great multitude, this, this huge group of people that are listening to this sermon, he looks up and he's focused more so on his disciples, those who were his disciples and those who would be his disciples. And, and we see this even in verse 27 as we start, because it starts off by saying what? But I say to you who hear. You know, it, it's really important to know that sometimes we, we hear things and sometimes we really hear them. And, and only God can open up our ears to the Word of God. You know, some people will listen to certain things and they'll get it, and other people won't. And the real, the real question is, why is that? And Paul actually clarifies that for us in 1 Corinthians 2.14. He says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are what? Spiritually discerned. So friends, unless God, through the Holy Spirit, the person of God, the Holy Spirit, illuminates the Scriptures for you, you will not understand the Word Reading the Bible without the Holy Spirit is like reading the Bible in the dark. If you remove that light, you can't see. You, you may read the words, and for unbelievers, they'll read the words, but they don't get it because they don't have the Holy Spirit to illuminate it for them. But when we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, the Holy Spirit is like a lamp that illuminates the words of the Scriptures and helps us to understand them. Without the Holy Spirit, you wonder why unbelievers can hear something, and, and they just there's just no response. And you're like, well, how could you not get that. Well, we know that unless the Holy Spirit is working on their hearts, that they're being drawn by the Father, or if they have the Holy Spirit that lives inside them, that no one can actually discern and understand the things of God. Because let's be honest, this scripture is super counter human flesh. Love your enemies? Is that what the world says? No, the world says kill your enemies. No, uh, should we lend to those who won't pay you back? No, absolutely. We should hold on to those things. So the things of God are only discerned and understood through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. So just think of when you read the Scripture and you have something you don't understand as well, and we're not going to understand everything. That's part of, part of this life. We see through a glass dimly, a mirror dimly, as we see in 1 Corinthians as well, uh, chapter 13. But, but, but what's really important is that we ask God to reveal what His Scripture says and, and, and allow Him to use other Scriptures to clarify that, as we'll see today. And, and as all those who were listening on that mountain that day, this great multitude that are listening to Jesus Christ, most of them didn't get it. They heard it, but they didn't really hear it. You know, they might have been listening, but they didn't really hear it. It didn't go in to their minds, into their hearts. They weren't able to discern it. And that seems true with my sermon today. If you're not a believer and you're here, you're going to hear these words, of, uh, words of Scripture, and you're, I'm going to read these things, and you're going to say, I don't understand what he's talking about. And if that's you, and every time I preach, you're like, I don't understand what he's talking about, well, I'm either really bad at communication, we need to have a talk, and, and I need people to sit down with me and say, hey, this is actually how you need to communicate, which I've heard some pastors where you can't understand them. You know, that is, that is something, so let me know if that's the case. Or the Holy Spirit may not be in you. You may not be discerning those things. Now, even, we're not going to understand everything. 
And all of us have a different ability to understand certain things. That's part of it. But if there's nothing that's revealed to you as I preach the word, as you read the word, then there, there might be a problem there. And you need to pray and ask God to illuminate the scripture for you. So getting back to our scripture, Jesus gives us three commands. And they are what? Do good, bless, and pray. So those are the, the three commands, the direct commands that he kind of comes firing at us. Boom, boom, boom. And so we're to do good to those who hate us, we're to bless those who curse us, and we're to pray for those who abuse us. Do you see the progression here? So we see the, the beginning, it says to do good to those who hate us, and that's someone who has their heart set against us and hate. They hate us and they hate our God. That's really why they hate us for the most part. They may not have done anything physically, they may not even have said anything to us, but their opinion of us and our God is obvious. Uh, these are people who are against us, and we're told to do good to them. In other words, we're, trying not to, we're told not to hate them back or go back at them. Instead, we should be kind to them and gracious. But then we get to even more direct actions coming from our enemy's hatred of us. We're told to bless those who curse us. And I'm pretty sure that your first response to someone who curses you is not, bless you, and I hope you have a blessed day. If that is your natural born response, you are far more sanctified than me. And I maybe need to learn from you. But that is the aim that we need to get to. That's what, that's what we're trying to shoot for is when someone curses us, that we bless them. And that, that word bless is pretty tough because this word bless means to bestow favor and goodness on another. That's quite a charge. We're, we're told to bestow favor on those who curse us. That's very countercultural. It's very counterflesh, isn't it? And then it gets even harder. Now Jesus says we're told to pray for those who abuse us. And this is those who persecute us and treat us poorly. First century Christians would have understood this very well. Uh, if you're looking at Paul's time, uh, physical abuse and even martyrdom befell many of them. And Christians worldwide, listen to Voice of the Martyrs. It's a great podcast. Uh, they have great, great, great uh, information that comes out through magazines to pray for our brothers and sisters abroad who are being persecuted. There's many that are suffering physical abuse because of being a Christian. I mentioned last week, Acts 5, where the, the apostles rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. But we're told to intercede in prayer on behalf of those who abuse us, who persecute us, who throw us into prison. I mean, obviously, we're not experiencing a lot of that, but we do take abuse on this side of, we, we've all been abused in some way, physically or verbally. There's people, we have bosses sometimes that yell at us, that treat us very poorly. There's a lot of that. And we're told to pray for their salvation, even as difficult as that prayer maybe. That is super hard, and we're going to kind of see this practically played out in verses 29 and 30. Moving forward, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Everyone, anybody get in America, you know, like I'm ready to pull out a, you know, a 22 or a 9 millimeter. nobody's going to take my stuff. You know, in, in our culture, this is super countercultural as we move forward. Then he goes on to say, give to, give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Is that not like the hardest scripture to read? I know, like, just maybe it's because we're Americans here. Like, this is really tough because we're independent. We, we fight for our freedom. We're, we're fighters. That's just how we are in America. And so when we hear this, like, turn their cheek, it's like, no, I'll turn their cheek. You know, like, that's our natural you know, our natural response, you know, 
Uh, if somebody steals something, well, you're going to go after them and get it. Like, that's what we do in America, especially West Virginia. Like, nobody's going to just come and take our stuff. You know, and I think this is super hard to understand practically. So I want us to kind of go through each one of these and try to practically understand them and what they're not as well. It's, it's really important to know that because sometimes these are taught in a way that's not necessarily biblical the other way as well. So number one, turn the other cheek. Now, this command does not mean that one should never use self-defense. And this has been taught improperly by some more, I would say, softer liberal theologians. This is not what it says. And, and you're like, well, this is what it says. So you, you tell me not to listen to what you say. Listen to what the Scripture says. And I hope that's what you just thought whenever I said this is not exactly what he's saying. Because that's how you should always respond to somebody who says that something that sounds like it's contrary to what was just said. So we have to use Scripture to interpret Scripture, right? That's how we do it. So let's listen to Jesus. Let's take him at his word, Luke twenty-two thirty-six. He said to them, this is to the disciples he's about to send out, and he says this, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. Jesus just said, you need to be packing. Now, they didn't have guns, but they had swords. And these people are going out, and they're saying, hey, you need to have something for self-defense because you're going out as sheep among wolves. So Jesus tells them to be prepared to head out into the dark world. And then when it comes to, to literally turning your other cheek when somebody hits you and saying, okay, go ahead, just bring, bring it over here. Let's see what Jesus does when he gets hit in the cheek. So Jesus, uh, he's, he's been arrested, and we're looking here. John 18, 22, when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about it, about the wrong. But what if I said it? But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Jesus doesn't just say, hey, bring it. You know, right here, he doesn't go out of control. He's, you know, he doesn't seek revenge is what this is really teaching. He doesn't go and like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, let, let's, let's just go toe to toe right now. He calmly addresses what just happened, but he calls it out. This was unrighteous. What you did was not righteous. It was not justified. He was calm and controlled. And this is a super important lesson in hermeneutics, and we're going to see this appear a lot in these, these sayings. The, what, what Jesus is teaching are, are very difficult teachings, and, and he's doing this because they're countercultural even then. Like, these are things that when people hear, like, they think exactly the opposite. And what he's trying to do is say, hey, you need to think through this. This is how, we, how God's people need to act. It shouldn't just be fleshly. We need to go beyond what would be natural, as we'll see later. So we don't just disregard tough scriptures. We don't just interpret them with our culture and that kind of thing, but we study the other scriptures to provide clarity. And number two, we see, do not seek revenge. And I underline these next couple of verses here. So one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. All in that. And so to take away one's cloak was kind of like a coat. It was an over uh, the garment that went over your clothes to keep you warm. Obviously, where they were at, more of a desert climate, gets pretty cold at night. And actually, it was such a bad thing to keep somebody's cloak for overnight that there was a law against it. Exodus twenty two twenty six was if somebody would take a cloak and pledge, like say, hey, I'm, I'll come back, I'll bring this, I'm going to borrow your jar, I'll let you keep my cloak, and I'll bring the jar back. You give it. Actually, we see that to keep that cloak overnight would have been a against the law of Moses at that time. So this was a big deal to take somebody's cloak. In the same vein, one was not to seek revenge for someone who committed theft. Now we need to realize that doesn't mean that we don't file a, file a charge if somebody steals our car or something like that. doesn't mean we can't. Now if it's something smaller and we can overlook it, I think sometimes there is a time for that. 
But what this says is we're not to personally, with our own vendetta, go after people who take things. That it's not godly to go and, you know, go packing and knock on somebody's door and say, give me back my sugar, you stole my sugar. You know, like that's just not something we should do. We shouldn't seek revenge. That's not godly to seek revenge. And number three, practically speaking, we say give to everyone who begs from you. That's exactly what it says in Luke 6.30, give to everyone who begs from you. And note again here, we, we hear this statement and we have to look at the scripture to see exactly how this practically plays out in the life of a believer. What Jesus is calling us here is to be radically generous. Uh, because those who are part of God's family are radically generous to others because God has been radically generous to us. Everything that we have, the air that we breathe is radically generous from God. The energy that we have, the house that we have, the car that we have, whatever it is, all radically generous. And obviously salvation has been the most radically generous thing he's done. Generosity is an expression of love. And so Jesus is calling us to be that way. But we have to look at the entirety of Scripture again and say, okay, that doesn't mean that everyone you see you need to give money to, because one, there's, there's a couple of reasons why. But number one, we see in 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly, and to earn their own living. So for those who are able to work and not disabled or unable to work, the Bible's clear about we're actually doing harm by supporting such people. This is not a political statement. This is God's word. This is what he says. This would be a sermon itself in today's age. This would be a, quite, a, quite a long thing. But we're made in the image of God as workers. We see the work was not the curse. It was made harder because of the curse, but we were made to work. Jesus' aim, though, is that we are sacrificially and radically generous as he guides us by his Holy Spirit and directs our giving. But, but Jesus ends these sharp and difficult statements with, with this right here. Um, I, I, think, I, th I do think we, well, let's go, we'll, we'll get to the rest of this here in a minute. So he says, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What does that sound like? So we're seeing here, it says, and as you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Sounds just like what, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, that, that's the second greatest commandment, or what we hear this is the golden rule. You hear people say, uh, uh, the, the real golden rule is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I don't like they call the golden rule loving other people. Uh, number one, maybe the silver rule would be, you know, a gold medal would go to God, and then we would love others because we love God. But, uh, th but th really, if we look at that, love your neighbor as yourself, it summarizes everything he's just said. Love other people, even your enemies, as yourself. H how would you want them to treat you? You treat them the same way. Moving to our second point, it says, as, part, as a part of God's family, Christ maintains your reward. Christ maintains your reward. It's not going to get any easier. I'm sorry about this, uh, but we're going to get into this. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. So we see the word benefit here twice, and we see credit once in these three verses. And these, those two words refer to a heavenly reward that is to come. And Jesus tells us there is no such reward for acting like the world acts. And in these three verses, Jesus mentions the, word, the way the world would naturally respond. The, world, the, way, the way the world would naturally act. 
although there are certainly those who are proactively evil. You know, you look around our world, there are those who are super evil. Most, if you look by God's common grace, most people respond in a positive way to those who are positive to them. Most of the time it's due to selfishness and self-preservation and what they can continue to get from you. But there is a, usually a people respond good for good and bad for bad, as we see. So, so how are we to, to go further than that? Uh, God says, hey, no, we don't just respond like the natural man responds. We go beyond that. And let's see what ways the, the world naturally responds, and then we'll see how we should respond. Number one, it says, the world can love those who love them. And, you know, really, it's, it's easy to love those who love you. Like that, that, it's kind of natural. It's built into us, part of the imago day, being made in God's image. Uh, there's something, when somebody's kind to you, it, it's hard to really just be a jerk to them. Like, it's really hard when somebody gives you something not to be at least smile and nod and, and be, be kind. And oftentimes, even evil people will respond with kindness to others with kindness. Number, number two, the world can do good to those who do good to them. Even evil people respond with goodness to those who are good to them. I mean, think of like a gang. You, know, you look at gang members, obviously they're notoriously evil. A lot of times they have drugs in their DNA and murder and robbery and theft, things like that. You know. But when it comes to those who are in the gang, they'll do anything for their brother. You know, it, it, does this mean that they're good because they want to do good to those who are part of their gang? Absolutely not. These are evil people. They do bad to a lot of their people. But they still, even being evil, still do good to those who are positive to them. Then number three, the world can lend to those who always repay. And many people will lend to someone who's reliable and paying them back. You know, you know that person's going to give you back that $5 for lunch or that $10 for lunch. Yeah, even pagans will do that. Oh, okay, I, I can spare this. I can do and a lot of times they'll do it because they know you may get them back the next time. And so there's a selfish mode of that as well if they're not of God. But we're to be radically generous again as God is generous with us. However, we're, we're told a biblical understanding of, of lending and being generous. And I think, again, just like we've had to talk about the other ones, um, understanding a, a biblical uh, teaching on lending, lending and generosity is super important here. Uh, a, do not put up security for a neighbor when you don't have it to put up. This is super important. When we're talking about lending, we're talking about generous. It's unwise to lend what you don't have to lend, and you can't be generous with money that isn't yours. So Proverbs 17, 18 says, one who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. So practically speaking, this is co-signing for a loan you can't afford to pay. Or, or it's being generous with money that you've borrowed. It's, we're, we're not to be generous with the bank's money. We're not to be generous with somebody else's money. We're to be generous with what God has entrusted to us. Um, so, so we need to make sure that we are wise in that. And, number, and B, count the cost and be sure you can pay it. You know, if you cannot make ends meet without getting that money back, don't lend that money to someone else. Don't, don't lend what you cannot give. And if you can give, sometimes the answer is to give and not lend. You know, lending sometimes will destroy relationships if it's not given back. And so we need to really be wise with how we give or lend to family members and friends because sometimes they can't pay it back. Sometimes something bad happens, but if you had it to give, maybe if you would have just given it, it wouldn't have broken that relationship. So think very clearly about those scripturally as well. But in summary, Jesus is saying, if we're looking here, we're to love those who hate us, not just those who love us, which is counter what the world would say. Uh, we're to do good to those who do not do good to us, even those who seek to harm us. We're even to go to the Lord with them. And, and we're, we're to be willing to lend and give 
to those who can never be able to repay us back, assuming that we have it to give. And this takes radical love, friends. It's agape love. It is less of you, more of God, and more of others. We may lose out, I'll be honest, if you live this way, you're going to lose out on some earthly rewards. There's going to be some things you can't get. There's going to be things you can't do because you've been generous to others. But I can promise you the investment for eternity has much better rewards, my friends. And finally, the third, third point, last point. As part of God's family, Christ mediates your relationship. He mediates your relationship. Let's read verses 35 and 36. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So here we get to the real reason we're to love others, especially even our enemies. And the real reason that we're to be generous to others and love others is it glorifies our Father because it makes us more like Him. We become His hands and His feet to a lost world. And we, we mentioned the reward from obedience in our last point. We, discuss, we discussed how we should love our enemies and do good to them, lend to them, bless them. But God has a heavenly reward for us. And how amazing is that? That is a great thing. But Jesus says here that there's a better, a greater reward that we get. The, the greatest reward, but the greatest reward that is bestowed to believers is the reward of relationship. The reward of relationship. So we who are in Christ are reconciled to God as sons and daughters of the Most High. How beautiful is that? We're able to have a relationship because of the mediation of Jesus Christ, as we see in 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He is the only way, the truth, the life. And th so through Jesus Christ, we have access to God the Father as legitimate, adopted sons and daughters of God. Because of his sacrificial atonement on the cross, we can have a relationship with him, and he mediates that relationship. Not because of what we did, we bring no good, as we've already talked about, but because of what he did on the cross. We have that promise that we will be raised like Christ. And as adopted sons and daughters, God promises to sanctify us, meaning that he makes us more like himself, more like his son. God makes us more like Jesus Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the work of the word of God, through the work of others in our lives, we are progressively sanctified to become more like Christ. But in this, we also see that we become more like the Father. If we saw in verse 35, it says, And you will be sons of the Most High. How beautiful is that? And be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So it shows that when we do these things, we're like our Father in heaven. We're like God himself. And the reason that's so important is that when we act that way to unbelievers, when we love them when they're unlovable, when they hate us, when we lend to them when they don't deserve it, when, when we pray for them and intercede for them, when they abused us and treated us poorly, we give a picture of Christ in the church. We give a picture of Jesus Christ who died for us while we were still what? Enemies. We were enemies of God, and God loved us. And so we can, we can love others because, why? Christ first loved us. And so he loves others through us. Uh, first John 4.19 says that. But if we move on, John goes on to give a very strong warning to us who claim to be in Christ but hate 
our brothers, but hate those who are beside us, our enemies even. 1 John 4.20, John says this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. I don't know if y'all remember, that was the first book we went through. It's a hard book. I picked it because I thought it'd be easier. It was probably the hardest book we've preached so far. And it says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So we come to a close, it's important to know that these commands are not completely about others. And we read this and it's love your enemies, pray for them, lend to them, do good to them. It looks like Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to be others focused. There's an aspect of that. But the real main vein of this entire thing is at the end. For then you will be sons of the Most High. How we treat others matters because our relationship with God matters. And how we treat others affects that relationship with God. And how we are, as we saw in 1 John 4.20. How we treat others shows God's love to others as well. And so if we want to glorify God, we want to see people come to a saving knowledge of Christ, then we have to be his hands and feet as well. As we share that gospel, if we don't have love, then we're just a resounding gong, clanging cymbal, as we see in 1 Corinthians 13. We have to love even our enemies, even enemies of God. We have to love them or they'll never actually hear the gospel from us. So it's so important that we love others well, even those who are unlovable, because God did that for us. All right? And I think we see this no better as we come to a close here in the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. This is a, this is a really moving, powerful uh, chapter. I h- highly recommend you read it this afternoon, the whole thing. In the context, he's given a, an abbreviated history of Israel, a, a long abbreviated history at that, but, but he talks about how Israel has continually disobeyed God and done what was wrong. And, they, and he ends it with the last thing Israel had just done, which was crucify the Messiah. And after, right after he says that, we get to verse 54 here. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Can you see the hatred of God that these people have? It's not Stephen that they hate, it is God himself that they hate. And it's not you that unbelievers hate, it is God himself that they hate. For they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garment at the feet of a young man named... Saul. This is Paul who wrote a lot of the New Testament, in case you're wondering, if you don't realize that. Verse 59, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Sounds just like our Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ. Sounds just like Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Lord, forgive them, because they know know not what they do. Stephen knows that they know what they're doing at this point, and he says, Lord, don't, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen showed his love for his enemies, even when he's been persecuted and killed for Christ. And many theologians 
watch this, and they see Paul is there, and even if you look on the ver- like chapter 8, verse 1, they, they're laying their garments at the feet of Saul, who is watching their garments as these people pelt Stephen and kill him with stones, and he's just there approving as a leader of the mob what's happening. And so he sees this whole thing. Paul sees this interaction. He hears what Stephen says. He watches his response of love while people are hitting him with stones. And many theologians, as they study this, start to think this may have been a turning point in Paul's life. Obviously, Paul was not saved after this. He did not right after this. He continues to, actually, as he's going to Damascus, he's continuing to go persecute Christians. But many theologians think this was a fertilization, a breaking up of that soil to prepare for Christ appearing to him in Acts chapter 9, just a couple of chapters, or one chapter after this, if we're looking. Because God can use our love for enemies to glorify himself and save others. And brothers and sisters, we are never more like our Savior than, we lo- than when we love our enemies. That was Jesus Christ on the cross. Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. No greater love than this, than a man lay his life down for another. And some will lay their life down for a friend, but hardly any, if none, would lay their life down for their enemies. But that's what Jesus Christ did for us. And when we love others, love our enemies, we show Christ's love to others. We've been given quite a charge by Christ today, church. This is a tough one. It's, it's a tough pill to swallow, a tough scripture to understand and walk through. And I got, I got news for you. You can't do it. I can't do it, but Christ can. And so don't just say, I'm going to love that family member that I just want to smack every time I see her or every time I see him. You know what? I'm going to just I'm going to work harder to love them. I'm going to I'm going to go and get them a Tudor's biscuit gift card. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll give you one to give to them. You know, it's just, I'm going to do all these things, and I'm 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 I pray that you know that you can't, but that God can. And so it needs to be through the power of God, through the power of His Holy Spirit. I'm going to walk in obedience to God, knowing that I can't do it on my own. Because if you could, you would have already. As I say oftentimes, but may we through Christ's power and strength carried out. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word is tough. It is extremely difficult. And in a culture like we live, these are completely countercultural. To to do good to those who hate us, to our to not to not hate our enemies back, to not respond in in direct response of anything that they do to us. Um that is not Appalachian culture. It's not American culture. But Lord, it's how your family is to act because you loved us sacrificially, even when we were enemies. So Lord God, I pray that you help us as a church to show that love to those around us who are enemies of God. Help us to see those around us that are enemies of yours and proactively love these people and show them your love by sharing the gospel and sharing, sharing other things, just being generous to them and kind to them, doing good to them, even though they don't deserve it. We, we, don't, we don't do it because of the intrinsic worth of these men and women, because we know there is no intrinsic worth in any of us. We are only worthy because of the blood of the Lamb that covers us as believers. So God, we don't love people because they are lovable or because they deserve love, but we love them because you first loved us. Help us to do that, Lord. If there's somebody that's in our minds right now that we just cannot stand, just somebody that we, the last person that we feel like we can love, God, I pray that that be the first person that you help us to love through your power, that you may get the glory, not us. Lord God, just help us to reach out this week, thinking of those that 
are unlovable, those that we need to pray for and lift up for salvation. May we be your hands and feet to them. Oftentimes, those who have been the harshest to us and the most unloving to us, they seem to respond to our kindness with just baffled. Just be, they're baffled by somebody who is being kind to them after they've been so bad to, to them. They don't understand that. And so God, help us to, to be willing to put ourselves out there. And it may go bad, it may go good. It's only by your grace that someone would be saved. But God, may we pray over those situations and reach out. God, help us to, to be your hands and feet this week. And uh, Lord, we love you so much and we thank you for your word. And amen. Have a blessed week, church.